Well, welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Glad you're with us. It's Wednesday, December 9, 2020. And the last time I checked, we still have a U.S. Constitution. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but I can confirm it is still there. On our show today, we're going to take a deep dive into this wonderful founding document and what it means for presidents and his election fraud fight ahead, the president's election fraud fight ahead. Speaking of the commander in chief, he's tweeting lots of all caps and exclamation points and a few rigged election comments as well. And then there's this one. We will be intervening in the Texas, plus many other states, case. This is the big one. Our country needs a victory. Of course, he's talking about Texas suing the states of Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, essentially arguing that those states are in violation of the Constitution because only state legislatures, not governors or election officials, have the authority to change election laws, which is exactly what happened in 2020. And now more states have joined Texas in their Supreme Court lawsuit. So will the highest court in the land take it up? That's the big question. Time of the essence here. So on today's show, to discuss all of these constitutional issues, we have famed lawyer Alan Dershowitz. He's right there in the bottom left. Nice smile, by the way, Alan. Uh, Jordan Seculo, a member of President Trump's uh, legal team on the top left. We go to the right, and you've got Congressman Brian Babin, who's introduced the, get ready for this, You Must Be Alive to Vote Act. I'm not making that up. He's going to be here. And Rick Green, America's constitutional coach on the show today. First, though, we check in with Alan Dershowitz. The Harvard professor is host of the podcast, The Dersh Show. We spoke earlier today about the one big court case that Trump supporters hope will change everything about this election. Alan Dershowitz, thanks for being on the show again. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Let's talk about Texas. Uh, Donald Trump tweeting today, this is the big one. I mean, I guess everyone's kind of been a big one, but, but here's the latest big one. What do you make of what Texas is doing? A lot of people are saying, you've got to be kidding me here. Hail Mary. Uh, that's what it is. But Hail Mary sometimes worked. Remember what happened about three weeks ago, the Hail Murray in the end zone that produced the victory? Uh, this is a desperate last move. It's creative. Um, it was really designed by a terrific lawyer in Washington named Nathan Lewin, who teaches at Harvard and Columbia and other places. And he came up with the idea of an original jurisdiction suit by one state against another state. It's permitted by the Constitution, by the Article Three and, and, and the 11th Amendment and the Judiciary Act. The question is, is the theory one that will... Uh, be accepted by the Supreme Court. The theory is a little bit stretched. It says that the voters of Texas voted for Donald Trump. They're entitled to have their president elected. Uh, and if the states of Michigan have had corrupted elections and improper elections, that denies the people of Texas the right to have their candidate win. It's a stretch. Mm -hmm. It's creative. It's clever. Um, uh, recently, my colleague, Professor Tribe, Larry Tribe at Harvard, said it was a stupid, dumb idea. But he would have done the same thing if the shoe were on the other foot. <laughs> if his candidate had lost, he'd be there arguing original jurisdiction, making the same arguments that he uh, attacks now. So it, it's worth making. Do I think it'll work? I do not think it will ultimately work, but it's worth trying. Do you think the Supreme Court might take the case up at least? Well, the Supreme Court really has to take the case uh, in the sense that they have original jurisdiction. This is not usually discretionary jurisdiction, but they can take it and dismiss it, or they can take it and put it on the back burner. Remember, 
under the original jurisdiction, they're the trial court. They are supposed to hear evidence, hear cross-examination of witnesses, make findings. They don't generally do that. They give it to a monitor, and it can take a long time. Remember the case where New York and New Jersey fought over who owns the Statue of Liberty? Mm-hmm. That was a perfect example of original jurisdiction. It took a long time, and right. I think if I remember correctly, the court ruled, New Jersey owns the Statue of Liberty. It was devastating to me from <laughs> Brooklyn. I would have, I could see the Statue of Liberty from the from the Bell Parkway. So, um, uh, but that's that's the the only hope at this point. I think that the Trump administration has it's a very very slim hope. No, I'm still going with Brooklyn, by the way, over Jersey. I just wanted just to be on the record with that, Alan. Hey, uh, but but let me ask you though. Ultimately, uh, when I said take the case up, uh, I guess what I really meant ultimately by that is, will they actually hear the case? Do you believe this will ever get in front of those uh, Supreme Court uh, justices? If it does, it has to be this coming week. Uh, they really only have until the 14th. On the 14th of December, the electors vote, and they will elect. Uh, Joe Biden to be the president unless the Supreme Court intervenes. Uh, That's not a constitutional deadline. It's a statutory deadline. The only constitutional deadline is January 20th at noon. Um, But Mm -hmm. um, I I, I don't think the Supreme Court will have a full hearing and argument on it because they just don't have the time for briefs and argument. Mm -hmm. I think they'll make a quick decision, and I think it'll be a decision saying that it's too late, Uh, Uh, the argument. Yeah, Alan, what about the underlying issues that the Texas Attorney General is raising? I just want to read you, well, you know it very well in the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, each state shall appoint in such a manner as the legislature thereof may direct. And in this case, in many of these uh, states that they're talking about here, indeed, the legislature wasn't uh, uh, part of the decision. It It was a governor or secretary of state or some sort of election official. That's the underlying kind of constitutional issue, is it not? It's a good issue. And of course, that issue prevailed in 2000 in Bush versus Gore. And Justice Alito certainly seemed sympathetic to that argument when he ordered the Pennsylvania votes that were received after the close of Election Day per a court order, not a legislative order, to be sequestered. Uh, the argument should have been made earlier on in time. And the problem is that we're running against a, a deadline. And I think that we're not going to hear probably a full accounting of these constitutional issues. They're worth considering. They're serious constitutional issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alabama, Louisiana, Missouri, other states uh, seem to be signaling they're gonna, they'd come on board with this uh, suit. Uh, what, does that make it stronger? I mean, if you got more states that are concerned? Sure. sure. Uh, look, when you have states suing states, that's a serious matter. Uh, the question is, do they have a leg to stand on legally? Can they make the argument that they have standing to object to how other states conducted their election. And uh, if the Supreme Court says yes, and then it will have to look at how many ballots were affected by non-legislative determinations, by determinations made by governors, by uh, mayors, um, by the courts. And if they think this is a serious constitutional issue and the votes are there, then the question comes up, what's the remedy? Are you going to have a new election? We've never had that in our history. Does it go to the House of Representatives? We've had that uh, on a number of occasions in our history. Will this become another Tilden Hayes, where there's a commission looking into the election and then handing it to one side or another based on a political compromise, which happened in uh, 1876? 
Don't know. These are all new issues. Never happened in the 20th or 21st century. Alan, that gets to my next point on this idea of January 6th. I say the idea. It will happen. 1 p.m. on January 6th, 2021. The envelope, you know, the envelope, please. And, and the president of the Senate, Mike Pence, at that point, the vice president, will open up that envelope. Uh, what if at that, at that point a U.S. congressman, Mo Brooks has already said he's going to dispute it. What if they get a U.S. senator? If they get a U.S. senator... Th then, then we're in some interesting territory here. Yes, but you need both houses to agree. And then the next question is, um, which Senate uh, does it on January 5th? Remember, we have uh, a Senate uh, that's been sworn in on January 3rd, but two vacancies, which will be filled on January 5th. Uh, one of them, uh, and right now the Republicans hold those seats. Uh, but they don't control the House. And so I think it won't go anywhere because you need both houses of Congress mm -hmm. to do anything that would result in rejecting the electors. They tried that mm -hmm. in 2000. A group of members of Congress tried to invoke this, but they couldn't get a senator to join them. And then the gavel was banged and it was ruled out of order by guess who? Al Gore, mm -hmm. who was the candidate, but also the president pro temp of the Senate who cast the deciding vote and banged the gavel down and ended his own election. That was statesmanship. Alan, I'm curious to get your take on the, the constitutional aspect of this. Legislatures, uh, Donald Trump wants to see some bold legislators step up or some legislatures actually send up, what, dual, maybe dual electors or, or something along those lines. But there's no sense that any of these legislatures are going to do that. Uh, but from a constitutional perspective, they are in their constitutional rights to do so, are they not? Well, they certainly were in their constitutional rights to pick any slate of electors before the election. Whether they can do that after the voters voted is a question that's never been resolved by the court. So we don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me ask you before you get out of here on the uh, before we get out of here, uh, the vaccine issue. You brought it, brought it up on the Dur Show uh, podcast. It's a great podcast. I'd suggest everybody uh, listen to it. Uh, you talk about whether or not states can mandate vaccines, the constitutional legal issues behind that, because I think this is where this is going. A lot of people are going to be concerned, like, oh, gosh, if I don't take the vaccine, then what? Are states going to mandate these vaccines? What's the constitutional issue behind that? If a vaccine not only prevents you from getting the illness, but prevents you from spreading it to innocent other people, the state can compel it. If, on the other hand, the vaccine only prevents you from getting it and has no public health implications, then the constitutional question becomes much, much, much more compelling. Interesting. Okay, more on the Dur Show uh, podcast on that. Uh, Alan, really appreciate your time. Thanks for giving me uh, a lot of knowledge to contemplate and uh, our viewers. Your wonderful show. I appreciate it very much. Anytime. Appreciate Alan Dershowitz uh, to be here again on the water cooler. Very important. You have two paths here. You have the courts and you have the legislatures. The question is, Will state legislatures, and I have the list here, in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Georgia, will they send up dual electors? It doesn't look likely. Probably not going to happen. That means somehow, some way, the Trump campaign is going to have to rely on the Supreme Court to, as they would say, get the job done. Those are the two paths. Will it happen? Look, it's, it, it's like a Hail Mary, but you know what? Time hasn't run out quite yet. Soon, though. Back in a moment. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. 
It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, glad to have Alan Dershowitz on the program in that first block. Uh, boy, some uh, real good constitutional knowledge from the famed Harvard uh, professor. By the way, we should also point out, uh, set your watches, I guess, even though I have no idea exactly when it's going to happen, but coming up on the water cooler, cooler, Alan Dershowitz agreeing to break down his favorite gefilte fishes. I kid you not, that is, I'm not making that up. He has agreed to do that. He'll come on and talk that pastrami on the water cooler. Where are you going to get that in America? Alan Dershowitz breaking down gefilte fish. All right, uh, speaking about breaking down stuff, uh, let's continue on our constitutional escapade uh, through this show and bring in Jordan Seculo, uh, one of the lawyers for the president's legal team and with the ACLJ, the American Center for Law and Justice. Hey, Jordan, great to see you, sir. Good to see you, David. Uh, well, let's talk about what's happening. Uh, I feel like I want to talk about Pennsylvania first uh, and then get to Texas. I mean, Pennsylvania was, okay. a, was, a, was a gut punch for sure. Supreme Court just not going there. Your, your take. You know, it's interesting. The take on that one is that was for injunctive relief. The Supreme Court just denied, so we're not going to give you uh, preliminary injunctive relief. That case would actually still continue, so it's still alive. But what is more important is kind of how it ties into the Texas case. Because at the same day the court said no preliminary injunction in Pennsylvania, uh, a case involving you know Texas suing the states of uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania has to respond by tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern time to the Supreme Court to the very same challenges that Mike Kelly, Congressman Kelly, and others were bringing. So while Pennsylvania might have thought they were getting some kind of reprieve, the state there, uh, they are not. They're going to have to respond to whether or not um, there should be uh, uh, these uh, the motions uh, for the the bill of complaint that was filed, David, on the on the issues of equal protection, due mm -hmm. process, and of course the electors clause. So they're going to now have to respond to exactly what Mike Kelly was talking about, which is we we violated the law in the state of Pennsylvania because we didn't follow the constitutional provision that say it's legislatures mm -hmm. that set up how elections are conducted for president of the United States, and then uh, not courts not uh, executive branch officials either. Yeah, the, uh, the president calling the Texas case today on Twitter the big one. He goes, this is the big one. Yep. Uh, well, what, what's your sense about Texas? Is this kind of a make or break at this point? I think it's fair to say that, that I mean, this is at the U.S. Supreme Court. They, it got past round one. Round one was, will they ask for the responsive briefing? They have. They've asked for responsive briefing from the states. So the states have to respond. That That was a big hurdle to get through and something, again, most cases the Supreme Court don't get to. Now, the second part about this is that it, it is outcome determinative. What do I mean there? 62 electoral college votes are at stake, at stake when you put these four states together. That is enough to change the outcome of the election, uh, depending on how the Supreme Court obviously uh, ends up uh, deciding this case. I don't think there's any tea leaves yet in uh, just because they've asked a responsive briefing, that there's definitely five votes uh, to declare that four states uh, have to uh, kind of uh, wash out the actual uh, elections that they conducted because they were illegal and then go to their state legislatures. But certainly the court is waiting now to see how will these states respond to Texas's allegations that they violated the constitutional uh, provisions here 
that said it's got to be state legislatures that change election law. Not right. and then the, each state they've gone through, David, and said this is what this state did, this is what this state did, right. this is what they did wrong, and how again and people try to wonder, well, how can Texas sue these other states? Well, it's one thing in the Constitution we have; it's original jurisdiction in Article Three of the Court, but two. It's Texas is doing this really protects all of our votes because they're saying that this is impacts a Texas voter in an election that was conducted legally in Texas that no one has challenged as being uh, fraudulent or wrong or not following the law. It's that our votes then are disenfranchising our voters if you allow an illegal yeah. election in a state to go forward. We have it up on the screen. We were putting it up while you were talking. Uh, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. This is this is the essence right there. Each state shall appoint in such matter as the legislature, therefore, may direct. Uh, that's the crux, if you will, at least constitutionally, of the Texas case. And uh, what do you make of some of these legislatures, these state legislatures? For example, Arizona, uh, there, there's a headline out there uh, in the, just in the last uh, day or two. You know, they're not going to take up. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're going to send any sort of dual electors there. You see Arizona Central saying Arizona legislature cannot and will not overturn election, according to the Republican House Speaker. Well, what's your message to some of these state legislators, who uh, Republican state legislators, who just seem to be AWOL and not doing a darn thing? Well, you know, it's interesting. In these four states, I know people understand that Georgia is not just a Republican legislature, but it's got a Republican state leadership. So I think it's important to point out that it's not just like going after all Democrats. But in each of these four states that Texas has challenged, the legislatures are controlled by Republicans. And most of them did push back initially and say, you know, uh, we're not in a position uh, to, to seat different electors, even though we have the legal ability to do so. Here's the difference it would be. If the Supreme Court comes out and said the election in your state, state legislature, was illegal, so here's the remedy is you have to pick electors. And by the way, if you can't figure out how to do that, then Congress will do it for you. Uh, and that's that That would then move to uh, the, the House would then choose the president of the United States by state delegation, which actually Republicans are are. are uh, have the have the lead by. They have 27 state delegations versus Democrats have about 22, and then there's two that are tied. So uh, this again would put pressure back on those states because it wouldn't just be the idea that they could do it; it would be the Supreme Court saying, I, "We are we are invalidating your state election." Now it's up to you. Are you going to really go back and seat the same electors that the Supreme Court has said? has violated the U.S. Constitution, the, the way you conducted your election. I mean, that would be yeah. something, again, so that's what it's important that you point out, David, though, because it's not like the Supreme Court is going to ch choose the electors. So even if they side with everything Texas says, uh, it still puts a lot of pressure possibly on the state legislatures mm -hmm. or uh, Congress, ultimately, to make this, these calls. The Supreme Court is not going to decide who the president is based off this case, but it certainly would open the door to um, to the electoral vote shifting. Jordan Seculo, uh, great to see you again, uh, and thanks for breaking all of this down. Really good insight. I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks so much, David. All right, Jordan Seculo there from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I don't know. It's not really a great southern accent. It, it's I. Uh, all right, coming up, Congressman uh, Brian uh, Babin. Uh, boy, he's got an interesting bill. You ready for the name of this bill? You have to be alive to vote act. I mean, has it really come to that? Do we really need an act like that? Well, unfortunately, it looks like we do. We're going to talk to the congressman when we come back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. There it is, uh, the voters on election day. I voted today. That's all you need to know. Congratulations to all the dead voters across the country who, let's be honest, that's a heck of an accomplishment uh, to go ahead and vote on Election Day when, wait for it, you're dead. So congrats. Uh, And by the way, uh, speaking of uh, dead people voting, uh, we have a new congressional bill that's been introduced. I want to show you a Washington Times article uh, about that. It is called, you're going to love this, it's called the You (laughs) You Must Be Alive to Vote. Act. Uh, let me read it to you. This is uh, Congressman uh, Brian Babin, a Texas congressman. He says this, all elected officials from your local city council member to your U.S. president have an obligation to obey the law and prevent fraud in our elections. And Congress should not be awarding taxpayer dollars to any counties or states that refuse to do the job they swore to do. That is Congressman Brian Babin. And that's exactly who joins us now uh, on the phone here on the water cooler. Congressman, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be with you, David. Uh, it, it's it's lamentable that you have to offer a bill like this, but we've got to have honest elections, and I don't think we just had one on November the 3rd. Well, take me through the genesis of this, uh, this uh, bill that's out there. I mean, it's a very unique name for sure. It, it has grabbed quite a bit of attention. Well, what this bill will do, of course, we all know that it's illegal for uh, deceased people to, to vote anyway. But the most important thing that we're seeing here and the and really the the platform and the foundation of our democracy is the peaceful transfer of power between the administrations. And if the people do not perceive that we have a uh, honest, transparent and open election, then that is a dangerous situation. And we've got 75 million people who voted for Donald J. Trump and 70 percent of those. Uh, do not think that the election was fair. They think it was a stolen election. So it's just as important for people to think that they have an honest election as it is for the, the election to be honest. And when we have, we know there have been dead people that have been voting. Uh, admittedly, it hasn't been thousands and thousands, but we don't really know the answer to that, to be perfectly honest. We do know, David, that there, were, there was a group of people in South Florida that were trying to register dozens of dead people uh, before the election, and they were caught. We know there's an ongoing uh, investigation in that. And so for our democracy to continue, we absolutely have got to have honest elections that people trust. And that's what this bill is all all about. You must be alive to vote act. Well, here's a question. You have 435 congressmen. Why in the world would there not be 435 co-sponsors of this bill? Who in the world would vote against this and if they're not if they're voting against it or not for it you have to wonder why exactly i think the same congressman that would not vote for this act would be the ones that don't want uh, voter ids they don't want photo ids they don't want an honest election mm-hmm. and the reason they don't want an honest election is because they know that we have 
illegal aliens. We have deceased individuals. We've got we saw in we saw it in Technicolor, David, in the very beginning of the 116th Congress. The very first bill uh, that uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi offered was HR one, and as for the People Act, uh, which was a joke because it basically was a Democrat Party takeover of the of, of our, our our election system. And we defeated that. I voted against it in the House, even though it passed, because we're in the in the minority. Uh, the Senate never took it up. But yet, through activist judges, local uh, judges that uh, were Democrat-appointed, uh, we wound up having several provisions of that act be passed. Drive-through voting, uh, same-day registration, on and on and on, uh, mail-in balloting without being solicited for that ballot. Uh, we've seen it over and over again, and the irregularities and the, quite frankly, the dishonesty that we have seen uh, have been so overwhelming, it doesn't pass the smell test. And when you have 70 percent of 75 million Trump voters that think that this was a stolen election, then we've got to have the something done about that. And I think that's where H.R. 8830, You Must Be Alive to Vote Act, would come in. Congressman, are you convinced that if uh, elected officials and governors in certain states that change some of these mail-in or added mail-in balloting provisions, uh, are you convinced that Donald Trump would have won if those had not, if those changes had not been made? Absolutely. I think that we have seen over and over again, we've got Mm -hmm. President Trump received 11 million more votes than he did in 2016. He still lost. Uh, Republicans won 27 out of 27 toss-up seats in the House. He received more minority votes than any GOP president since 1960. And he won 19 of the 20 bellwether counties all across this country. And we're supposed to just accept that President Trump lost this. And, uh, you know, no wonder people are are very upset about this. And quite frankly, uh, David, a lot of weak-minded Republicans are actually... Uh, harming, I think, the, uh, the, the, the trying to make this a transparent election as well. I don't understand why Governor Brian Kemp from Georgia is not allowed for a rechecking of the signatures. The uh, Secretary of State there, uh, yeah. Raffensperger, it's amazing to me some of the, some of the uh, uh, decisions that these people have made, uh, Republican uh, state legislatures that have, that have uh, gone ahead and certified some of these results is crazy. When all the people that, that put them in office uh, don't think it was an honest election. I have less than a minute left, but when it comes to January 6th, uh, that envelope's going to be open. U.S. Congressman Mo Brooks has said he's going to dispute these results. Uh, what is your view on what will happen January 6th, and what will you do? Well, I, I have been in conversations uh, uh, with uh, with Mo Brooks, and I really appreciate him, and I've, I actually have done a little research on this, and uh, this may be one of the only avenues that we can take. Uh, we've got to have uh, a senator to join us. We're still looking right. for that. Uh, and if we can do that, send these, uh, you know, we will, we will not accept the certification of these electoral votes, and it will go back to both houses. But let me just say real quickly that I'm very proud of the state of Texas, our, our attorney general, has filed a lawsuit and been joined by Missouri and Louisiana right. and a couple of other states uh, to, uh, to, to back us yep. up in this, that we were harmed by all of the changes in the voting uh, in some of these states. Sure. Uh, and that's Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. 
uh, that they they unconstitutionally, gotcha. in other words, illegally changed the the yeah. uh, the election law, and they couldn't do that. Uh, without having the uh, Republican legislature do that, not a court. Got, Congressman, f- thanks. We'd love to have you back on another time. Appreciate you being here. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. It's a constitutional bonanza of a show here on The Water Cooler. Uh, and, And let's continue that constitutional theme Uh, with Rick Green, uh, America's Constitution coach. He's joining us every week, and boy, there's a lot to talk about, Rick. Uh, Thanks for being back here on the water cooler. Absolutely, David. Thanks for having me back, man. Well, Pennsylvania, why don't we start there? Uh, The the Supreme Court did not take this case. Uh, That's a tough pill to swallow for folks like yourself and, and, quite frankly, Trump supporters around the country. Talk to me about what happened there. Tough pill to swallow for anyone that loves the Constitution and the rule of law. I mean, this was a black and white case. Pennsylvania absolutely broke the law, absolutely violated the Constitution with this voting scheme that only the legislature should have been able to design. And uh, for the Supreme Court not to take this case is a very bad sign. You know, I've been very optimistic on your program the last few weeks as we laid out the different inflection points where this thing could turn around. Uh, The number one inflection point was the legislators doing their job under the Constitution and having special sessions and calling back. Uh, and doing the electors themselves with these elections uh, so chaotic. It uh, doesn't look like they're going to do that. Second inflection point was the Supreme Court actually upholding the law. And for them to punt on this is a bad sign. And I know everybody's saying, yeah, well, they didn't do injunctive relief. They they didn't deny search, so they could still take the whole case. But we're running out of time. And for them to say no in this case, I think is a very bad sign for even the Texas case that uh, my friend Ken Paxton is has filed and that other AGs are jumping on. I hope that they prevail. Maybe the court's saying we didn't want to do Pennsylvania by itself when we have this case coming direct to the Supreme Court because it's one state against another state, uh, and it's going to allow us to take on all, you know five of these uh, chaotic situations at the same time. Maybe that's the case. I hope that's the case, and I hope the Supreme Court does their job. But this could come down to January 6th, and it remain with Congress to do their job and we all know the Senate's going to be Republican, House is going to be Democrat at that point. And uh, even then, when they object to the electors, if they do so, which I believe they will, uh, there's a little bit of chaos on how that will play out. In fact, I think, David, it's going to be like watching a Saturday Night Live skit of, of English Parliament, you know, everybody screaming at each other, mm-hmm. rather than our boring C-SPAN. So at least tune in on January 6th for some fireworks. That's right. Well, to see Ted Cruz in a wig uh, might be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ju- just for that alone, I'll tune in. Uh, all right, so, right. Rick, let's talk about January 6th, because you're the Constitution uh, coach guy. Uh, I'm ju- you know, I have no idea exactly how all this plays out, but but this is my understanding. January 6th, the envelope, please. Pence reads the, opens up the envelope. He's president of the Senate. Uh, and, and we know that U.S. Congressman, Mo- let's not even talk about dual electors at this moment. Let's pretend all the state right. legislators uh, don't do their job uh, from a constitutional perspective. Uh, U.S. Congressman Mo Brooks objects in writing and all that. Then they need one U.S. senator as well, right? And then, then what right. happens? I understand the House and Senate will then start to confer and vote. What happens there? 
Exactly right. Yeah, you got to have an, uh, someone objecting from both the House and the Senate. I think that'll probably happen. I'd be shocked if we don't have a U.S. senator willing to who object to several. Who might that be? Things. You think it might be Cruz? You might who, or, uh, it or could Rand be. Paul maybe? Yeah, Rand Paul's actually uh, spoken out already a little bit. So I would be shocked if we don't have at least one U.S. senator. There, there really should be, you know, 50 or 52 of them willing to uh, mm -hmm. to speak out against this. But let's say it's one and one. At that point, whichever state they've objected to, which Arizona would be the first one called that they would likely object. Uh, to, then they recess into their individual chambers. In other words, the Senate's going to walk across the hall, across the rotunda to their Senate chamber. The House folks will stay in the House chamber, and they'll individually, as chambers, debate the issue. And then they'll have to decide, are we going to reject the electors or reject the objection to the electors? And then they'll come back together. Now, here's where it gets crazy. Prior to 1888, only one chamber had to object, according to federal not law, not according to the Constitution. The Constitution does not lay out the specifics of how they would object. But prior to 1888, it was one chamber rejecting would allow for those electors to not be counted. It was a federal law passed in 1888 because of the chaos in 1873 when they counted the electors and then in 1877 when they counted the electors. Uh, they passed a federal law that is incredibly confusing. Almost every constitutional scholar says it's difficult to tell how this is going to play out according to that law. And they disagree on whether or not the two chambers rejecting applies to certain scenarios. So without getting too far in those weeds, I'll just say it is not a clear answer as far as whether or not the House has to reject for a group of electors to not be included. There, there are some that will say, no, it is clear. Both chambers have to reject. There are others that say it's not clear. So even that could potentially be litigated to the U.S. Supreme Court, though I think they would punt on that as well, yeah. because this is one of those things that Congress has to decide. You might recall we talked about 1876. They actually did a commission in order to resolve it because it was so chaotic. Yeah. Uh, and that commission ended up, uh, uh, you know, um, giving a recommendation to the House and the Senate, and both of them um, agreed with the commission's recommendation. I don't see well, us going that far in this case, but I do think it could be chaotic on January 6th. Well, let's talk about chaos for a second, because I said the president of the Senate would be Mike Pence. That's, of course, uh, assuming Republicans keep control, obviously, uh, of the Senate, uh, because it'll be a new Senate at that point on January 6th. Uh, well, but, he would be no matter what, because because he's still president of the Senate until January 20th. So no matter the what. the 20th, okay. He'll, okay. he'll be in the chair on January 6th, no matter what. The number on January 6th of 50-50 or 52-48 or is a little, you know, obviously up in there with, with Georgia. But also, right. how quickly do they seat those senators? Right. But, but, but let me go a little further here. So let's say, for example, Mo Brooks objects and, and then the House discusses it. And, of course, most likely the House will, will side with the Biden electors there. But let's say uh, it goes to the Senate. Uh, even then, under a Republican Senate, I mean, you got Romney in there, you got Sass in there, you got Murkowski. Yep. I mean, for, for the Senate to even go with the Trump electors at that point or, or to discount the Biden electors, whatever, however the case may be, that, that is a tough hill anyhow. It is, you know, I agree with you totally. There, it could be one or two um, senators that, you know, get to name their ticket, basically, in order to uh, to choose not to object. So it's a it's a it's a tough hill to climb at that point. And that's one reason I'm so disappointed in the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, David, I, I just got to say this. The courts have failed us all year long. They have refused to stop the covid fascism. They've refused to stop the dictatorships of these governors that are trying to make law without a Republican form of government. We should be upholding Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution and requiring that every state be a republic. And the courts have refused to do their job. I thought they would do their job here and actually upholding the rule of law with regard to our elections. Let's hope that what happened yesterday 
is an anomaly and that they're actually going to take this Texas case and see it through and 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 uphold yeah. the Constitution. I mean, people are people are concerned right now, man. And it, and it is time for and frankly, I want to lay the responsibility at your viewers feet. Right. Mm -hmm. It's our job as citizens at the end of the day. So no matter what yep. happens over the next 30 days, yep. let's start studying the Constitution ourselves. Let's start making sure that we elect yeah. people at the local level, the state level, and the federal level that will uphold the Constitution. This is going to take a decade yeah. or more to turn around. It's not an overnight solution. Rick Green, America's Constitution coach, as we say in basketball, bringing it strong to the rack uh, at all times, <laughs> bold as can be. Rick, really appreciate you being here. Thanks for saying all that. You bet. Thanks, David. All right. We're back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Hey, a time for the last sip. We're just in the last segment. Or was it the last segment? I can't remember the show. I was going to say the show is so long. Just kidding. Uh, a couple segments ago, we talked to Congressman Babin. I remember he had this, uh, this act out, the uh, <laughs> You Must Be Alive to Vote Act. That's hilarious. And we said to ourselves, hmm, I wonder if there are a few other interesting uh, bills out there. And guess what? There are actually laws on the books. These are... I can't, we're not making this up. These are real laws in America. Let's go through them. Why not? Because it's the last sip and we have nothing better to do. And this is the water cooler after all. Uh, here we go. In Baltimore, did you know it's illegal to take a lion to the movies? <laughs> that is true. Look, we're not making this up. I, I kid you not. Uh, let's just keep going because why not? Uh, in Massachusetts, gorillas are not allowed in the back seat of any car. Uh, I typically put the grill in the front seat, so that's a good thing. Uh, all right. In Missouri, it's illegal to provide alcohol to elephants. I don't know about you, but, you know, yeah, when I had an elephant as a pet, I said to myself, no way. They're not getting alcohol until they're 18. In Wyoming, it's illegal to photograph rabbits between the months of January and April. I can't even unpack this. I don't know what that's about, but I'll be honest with you. It sounds a bit creepy. Uh, and we'll just leave it at that. Now, this one I love. Uh, goldfish in Georgia. Uh, if, you've, if you're a goldfish owner in Georgia, you cannot give them away to entice someone to enter a game of bingo. Well, really? Now, we look closer at the statute on that. We will say it doesn't actually say bingo, but it does say an amusement game. So, hey, bingo's an amusement game. So there you have it. And then uh, we've got one more. Uh, th this in Florida, you have to, this is interesting, you must pay for the parking meter if you, if you tie an elephant, goat, or alligator to it. So, no, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this. Look, I get it. You know, you tie the alligator to a parking meter in Florida. There's some, there's some logic to that. The goat I don't know. The elephant. Here's my question. How in the world are you getting an elephant on a city street in Florida? Isn't that an uh, doesn't it break an ordinance? Anyhow, anyhow, the bottom line is only on the water cooler will you uh, hear about elephants and parking meters and uh, goldfish and bingo. Um, but hey, look, you got to hand it to Congressman uh, Congressman Babin, who uh, wants people that are alive to vote. And I, I got to tell you, I commend him for that. That's that's great stuff. Though I will say, and I want to be very clear, I give credit to all the dead people out there. 
uh, that is going through hoops uh, to get to the polls. Good for you. We're back in a moment. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. This is where the show gets smart. Uh, Sophie News. That's right. We called her that. It's, uh, it's not her name. Is it your name? Sof- it can be. Can we make it your name? Why not? Sophie Mann, who, let's just be, uh, we will christen you Sophie News. Okay. Right here. I love it. Yeah, you've been christened. Thank you. (laughs) Sophie News, uh, what do you got going on uh, at Just the News? Yeah, well, so today we have a story. It's it's very, this one is a great story, if I I do say so myself. Um, Feel free. It's about Twitter. So we know that recently Twitter, in the past you know, several months, has begun moderating content in a way that we had not previously seen them do by flagging certain posts by the president, among others, but you know, notably the president, yeah. um, when they say this is you know, not based on anything or let's double check these claims. A lot of it has had to do with uh, tweets sent by Donald Trump about um, voter fraud right. and his concern over the 2020 election. Um, so now we live in a world where Twitter is sort of speckled with these content warnings and labels. Um, and what these several researchers from Boston University and Cornell University did was run a test to see sort of what the effect of Twitter's labeling was. Hmm. And the answers that came back to them were super interesting in that they don't do anything. Basically, what, what, they, what these researchers found was that... Um, Republicans who were shown President Trump's tweets and then were shown them with the labels attached to them uh, only doubled down on their belief in what Donald Trump was saying. So ultimately it's a wash. Democrats, you know, felt the other way. But of course, that's the argument that most conservatives have been making about this. They're saying this is not helping anything. And Twitter says, you know, purports to be doing this in the name of bridging the divide in the media and making the media more trustworthy. And all that they've really done it seems is deep in the divide, according yeah. to you know information from these researchers. You know what's interesting here? Uh, sometimes they'll put the, the the headline up or the warning, and they'll say, uh, "Do you want to know more? Read here." And I'm thinking, "Oh wait, so we're now clicking on a conservative, potentially conservative website sites they Twitter probably doesn't want you to see." Yeah. But here we are. So so it's kind of clickbait for conservative websites. It does. This is sort of what the researchers concluded: is that um, what they're doing is playing exactly into the president's hands and into his narrative, which we know for so many years now has been the mainstream media does not have Republicans in their hearts or minds when they, you know, sort of figure out how to how to get their message out to their audience. And the same can be said of big tech. So mm. w- what they felt like was a good effort has actually not yielded the results they were looking for. Sophie, Sophie News, great to see you. Good to see you. You know you like that. I do like it. Of course she likes it. All right. Uh, that's it for the show. Scott Rasmussen on the show tomorrow and a lot of other stuff. See you tomorrow.